And I feel like if we spend the time and are dedicated to listening to what our horse has to tell us, and then we're dedicated and spend the time to observing our own selves, almost as in, as if we're like a third party, like watching ourselves interact with our horses and seeing what it is that we're telling our horses. I think that that connection starts to develop. Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere, a place where we love to bring consciousness to the horse world. I'm your host, Tracy Malone, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. This land I live on is Waka Waka and Turrbal country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and to pay my respects to their ancestors, past, present and future. And I'd also like to extend that respect to each and every one of you listening. In this episode, I speak with Adele Shaw from the Willing Equine. Adele is a horse trainer who works in a completely holistic way with horses. She teaches her clients that a horse needs a good environment, a good diet, a body that feels good, and a human that is aware of their body language before even getting to how to train a horse. So you can see this is right up our alley, guys. All this before even getting into the saddle. Imagine if all horses were afforded the same respect. This is an interesting conversation with a refreshing and skilled horsewoman. In every podcast, I learn a lot from my own training and how to go about things. And this is yet another moment where I'm given information to be able to take my horses to the next level. I really hope it does the same for you. Here is Adele. Adele, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Absolutely. I'm excited to be talking with you. Can you first tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? Well, it's a loaded question, but um, I'm a, you know, in a broad uh, way or broad term, but I am a horse trainer and a blogger and a clinician and um, also a riding instructor and a human trainer. (laughs) Um, And so I kind of have my hands on a little bit of everything and I bring it all together to help people with their horses and horses with their people. Beautiful. And the interesting, the part the, the story gets really interesting when we talk about how it is you do that. So let's go back to the start though. Did you grow up with horses? Have they always been a part of your life? Yeah. So ever since I was very, very little, since I can remember, I've had never owned a Barbie doll. I never owned really anything very girly, you know, all of the, um, I don't know, there's nothing wrong with any of that. My, my daughters have dolls and stuff like that. But for me, it was always uh, horses. If I owned a Barbie, it was a riding Barbie and riding horses, uh, the, the figurines and all that briars, lots and lots of briars. And when I was old enough, I started going to summer camps and then there was a barn that just happened to be walking distance from my house growing up, which was amazing because we lived in the middle of a very large city. Um, and I started riding there when I was about eight. And I got my first horse when I was 10, which looking back, I am in complete shock that that ever <laughs> happened considering the price of boarding in the middle of the city and the fact that I was so young. Um, but that's where it all began was way back when, when I was very parents, little. Yeah, your parents must have seen something there because that is a big commitment to make for them and for you. 
my parents have been have you know were and have or continue to be extremely supportive of what I do um, which is very surprising as they were not animal people I mean my family had dogs but uh, horses were never in our family um, and I so I, it wasn't like I grew up on a ranch with horses. Later, we moved to a ranch, and um, that's where I continue to work out of. But we were not ranch people and grew up around large animals. It was We had a few dogs, and I was the first one to say, I want a pony. <laughs> and my parents said, okay. So they've been amazing and very, very supportive over the years. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, the... You're a parent and I'm a parent and all you want is that your kids follow passion. And um, Yeah, but this is an expensive passion. <laughs> it is an expensive passion. But if you show that you are willing to take responsibility, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's a good one to go with, I believe. Yes, yes, definitely. I'm, I want to be able to offer that for my kids as well. Whatever that passion is, I want to encourage them to have a passion. And I'm just very appreciative that my parents felt that same way yeah yeah it's great to watch your kids fly into something they love so where did that take you what happened next in your life oh um, a couple of horses and do riding lessons it's another mm-hmm. one to become a trainer Mm-hmm. it is so I have a little bit of an interesting childhood I was educated from home so I was homeschooled um, so that allowed me to have a lot of time with horses and then I was within walking distance from this boarding barn and so I you know I had my first horse when I was 10 and he was a super cute very um, reliable little Arabian gelding he was a sport bred Arabian not a halter bred and uh, his name was Napoleon and um, he taught me so much as a kid and I'm so thankful to him for everything he put up with. (laughs) Um, and I started off riding hunter jumper and was very competitive, but I always had a desire and a passion to work with the challenging horses. So I had, um, other kids would ride in my classes because I, you know, lots of group lessons and they would get horses, you know, maybe it was a young horse or they would, there would be a school horse that was being challenging and these kids, you know, Oh, I don't want to ride that horse. That horse is difficult. And I'm like, do you want to switch horses? I'll ride your horse and you can ride mine. Who's, you know, easy going. And I wanted to work with the one that nobody else wanted to do anything with that actually started showing up all the way in uh, summer camp you know, they would draw names for the horses and I would trade people their horses that they drew names for, um, for the more challenging ones, the ones that nobody else wanted to ride. And very, um, I'm not exactly sure what started that. My, my father always said that I had a heart for uh, helping and um, caring for things that other people had rejected or written off. Um, I wanted to help fix animals. At the time, though, um, fixing a horse looks very different than it does for me now. I was still very much going along with the traditional training approaches, um, you know, more leg, more whip, more spur, more bit. Uh, but my heart was still there for it, and I was really genuinely wanting to help these horses. Um, I guess if I was going to really dive into it, the mentality there was if I, you know, I may have to use more force in the beginning, but it will make them safer and therefore more wanted 
in the future. So I felt like I was really helping these horses um, be safer for the rider so that they would be kept around and not sold or given away or rejected. So um, always had that passion to help those horses. Yeah. So I can, you can only use what you've got. Yes, absolutely. You can't do what you don't know. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, you know, I only had the education that my trainers had given me. I, and this was before social media and before um, Instagram and I, before I was reading blogs and, you know, I read some books, but they were all still traditionally minded as well. Um, so I went with what I knew. And I continued to compete. I showed the A circuit for a long time um, in Hunter Jumper, and I had different horses uh, growing up that were show horses. Um, at one point, I got into some dressage, some classical dressage lessons. I wanted to learn more about developing the horse physically uh, to help the Hunter Jumper in the jumping and I got into that for a little bit. Um, but then I quickly got sucked into a more competitive mindset in dressage and I transitioned from hunter jumper to dressage, but a modern approach, um, imported a big warm blood and was going to do the national junior young riders, uh, dressage competitions and was riding at, um, you know, the, the upper levels there, um, the pre-St. George and the intermediaries and all of that. So for a long time, but then that went south. <laughs> um, I feel like from the beginning, God had always been directing me towards the more of a mindset where I am now. Um, it just took me a long time to get here and a lot of heartache. Mm. Um, the warm blood that, you know, he was super expensive, super nice and flashy. And I got him here to the U S and was working with him and he did great for about two weeks after I bought him and I got to take him to one show and then it started going downhill from there. And he had a series of medical problems. Some were directly related to how he had been ridden and trained. Um, he developed, uh, well, long story short, we think he had a permanent headache, um, and Ooh. in in that stemmed from the hyperflexion and rocker he was ridden in and double you know just i i can't i could go on and on about everything he suffered um he had major surgeries he had um he wasn't able to breathe properly there was so much trauma that had happened to him over the years some of it well most of it was done before me but some of it was my own doing um, because I didn't know any better. Mm, how he, old was he? He was uh, 14. No, mm -hmm. 12. He was 12 at the time. Um, mm -hmm. He ended up, we ended up having to put him down um, mm -hmm. because he was so angry and so violent that to just to take him out of a stall, I had to put him on a twitch and he had to be sedated both at the same time with chains to walk him out of a stall. Um, mm -hmm. He was that violent and angry and, and he had started so much pain and in so much pain, he had started uh, self mutilation. So he had started hitting his head against stall doors and walls intentionally, just smacking his head over and over again. Mm. Um, anyway, that was a huge eye opener for me 
about mm-hmm. the damage that can happen to horses at our hands and what we feel like we're trying to do, you know, dressage is for the horse and, <laughs> um, but there's a right or a healthy way and an unhealthy way of doing almost anything. So yeah, there's a way that does actually help. And there's a way that helps us, not them. Yes. So there's a way that puts the horse first and there's a way that puts the human first. Absolutely. And that was my big moment there that perhaps, you know, that maybe we had been, everybody who had been in this horse's life, his name was Romeo. Everybody that had been in his life had been putting themselves first and not him. Um, And he was a big introduction to my, what, what I guess you would call like an integrative medicine kind of approach where I work with, um, modern medicine approaches and bring in the alternative approaches like um, acupuncture and massage therapy. And, um, you know, the list goes on of everything I do now, but he was my introduction to that because those therapies I had never even considered before him. um, Whereas acupuncture and other treatments like that had really where Western medicine had kind of failed or to, or not failed, but had been unable to help him just because of, you know, it's not the acupuncture. Acupuncture had been able to help him. It helped him regain some of his breathing abilities. And um, so that was Resting kind of- medicines limited to, um, to pharmaceuticals, I guess, is the way you would say mm-hmm. it. And that, that's and surgery. Just, yeah. Yeah. And so that's very limited. It, it does not um, account for an entire being. It doesn't bring in nutrition. It doesn't bring in stretching. Yes. It doesn't bring in... Yes. Um, how you're training the horse. It, yeah, it doesn't bring in any of that. Absolutely. And, you know, then there's only so much massage can do and there's only so much that acupuncture can do. So I try not to look at just one side or the other. I want to bring everything together uh, for the horse. Um, so leading from there, I moved into um, – actually, I had a couple of horses in between – where I continued, I started integrating everything I had learned from Romeo into their work, but I was still training like I had been more traditionally. Um, it was kinder, I would say, more classically minded, but it still had some limitations that I discovered when I got one of my current mares. Her name was Tiger, and um, she changed everything as far as the training aspect goes. She changed everything for me. I had to do a complete overhaul of my entire approach of working with horses and changing my mindset. And that's when the mindset of um, it being about me and to the mindset of it being about the horse really settled in. Like that's when that that defining moment for me when everything started to shift. And I, um, as much as I had been trying to help horses over the years, it was helping them so they could be better for people. And so people could use them. So, but you know, for tiger, it was a, um, I needed to learn to think like a horse and I needed to learn to really get into her mind and what it is that I was doing to her that was causing her so much stress and anxiety. She was again, another very violent and upset and stressed horse that I came across where, traditional training methods and natural horsemanship methods were not working for her. Um, not that those don't work, but for her, they had, I had hit a wall. Um, she was trying to throw me every ride. I couldn't put a bit in her mouth. She was bolting, rearing. She was just 
dangerous. Um, so I decided I had hit rock bottom and this was another learning experience for me and I couldn't possibly ruin this horse any more than I already, than she already was. So, um, I started looking into clicker training and positive reinforcement training and, um, you know, there was a few hiccups in the beginning where I was learning and I still learning every day. I'm learning. Um, there are people that are better at it than I am for sure, but she changed the other part of my horse world, you know, Romeo began the first part, which was the whole horse health aspect. And then Tiger changed the training aspect and the human aspect of the whole relationship of us with our horses. Wow. And did she have any, did Tiger have any body issues as well, or was she just refusing the training? Um. You know, she didn't have any, out, you know, major physical issues. Every once in a while, you know, I get osteopathic work on my horses and, you know, there'd be a little here, a little bit there, but nothing major, nothing like Romeo had where he had extreme physical issues yeah. for and her. It was which mental. pushed emotion. his behavior. Yeah. So his was mental. His was physically, he could not hold on anymore. And her, yeah. but hers was, I always small, smile with horses like Tiger. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, no, no, no. She was uh, so sensitive to any kind of pressure Mm -hmm. and any kind of punishment or correction that it would send her through the roof. Um, You couldn't just trying to touch her or be in the same stall with her or being around her, just looking at her even would send her into uh, an emotional frenzy. Um she's one of the first horses I've ever run across where, and this is purely, you know, an observation I've made. I'm not sure about the science behind this, but she would actually get like a nervous twitch. So her, one of her eyes would start like twitching and, you know, like people do when they get um, overly stressed or over tired, the, the eye starts twitching. Hers yeah. would actually do that. Um, and it was when she was stressed and worried about being um, hit or punished um, and that's completely disappeared now. It took a while, but it's completely vanished. Um, and so that's really exciting for me. I used to, it would take two plus hours to get her out of the pasture. I remember after I bought her, um, I called the previous owners and I said, so I can't catch this horse. How did you guys get her? And they said, we have to lasso her out of the pasture. I was wow. like, okay, <laughs> something's wrong there. Um, yeah. She's been quite an adventure learning experience. And so I have a question for you because I read something yeah. and I used to think until yesterday that some horses are more sensitive than others. And then I read the amazing Anna Blake's blog and she always, always makes me feel a bit uncomfortable by her thoughts because she really <laughs> goes deep and makes you think. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading along and I'm getting a little bit fidgety going, oh my God, I think she's right. And I'd love to hear what you believe about this. All horses are sensitive. It's their response to pressure that changes. So they're all as sensitive as each other, just some of them respond differently. So Tiger was very clear in saying, I'm just not having this. So she must have been very self-confident. Even of the horses that I have here, my Spanish Mustang, if I put pressure on her, she looks at me and says, are you serious? This is not happening because she's very self-assured. 
Whereas mm-hmm. the big standard bred that's got a lot of trauma, when he has pressure, he gets very anxious and he has a very um, anxious driven response in some way. You kind of lose him and he goes into this strange place of trauma when he receives pressure. So it really got me wondering yesterday. It's like, I don't think there's one that's more sensitive than the other. I think it's how they respond like children, you know, Mm -hmm. when you put pressure on some children, some of them step up and go, I will take that pressure and do what you want to get the hell out of this situation or I'll get really anxious or I'll stand up to you and say, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. I would agree completely. I think, I think we're all physically capable of, or we are just as sensitive as the next, um, and mentally just as sensitive, but it's the response is the emotional response and the history of the horse plays a huge part in that, um, their learning history. So, you know, I have, I have two almost identical horses actually physically, they are nothing alike personality wise. Well, I take that back, but, um, I have a two year old filly who's a buckskin paint. And then I have tiger who's a, a 12 year old buckskin paint and both are equally responsive and sensitive to anything that I do. But um, when you mentioned your horse that kind of said, like, are you kidding me? When you applied pressure, that's my two-year-old filly who I've raised since she was four and a half months old. And that horse has never experienced a rough hand in her life. Same as my Spanish Mustang. Yes. And she, one time I had to use some negative reinforcement to get her in a trailer and, um, she looked at me like I was stupid. Like, are you kidding? This is that's not what exactly, we do. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what Gypsy does. She's like, oh my God, you humans are such idiots. And I'm like, oh. I know. <laughs> and then, but my, my bucks, my big mare, uh, Tiger, if I were to do that to her, she would immediately panic. Um, it would be a, oh my gosh, what are you doing? This is going to end badly. I don't know where you're heading with this. And it just brings back all that previous trauma that she's experienced in her life, um, like PTSD style, where it, it immediately, any type of pressure is like a flashback to previous experiences for her. Yes. Now it's gotten better over time as I've reconditioned her to understand that a little bit of pressure doesn't necessarily mean the world's ending, yeah. but it's still there. That history is still there. We can't erase that history, which is something else. Anna Blake has said that you can't change the past. You can't erase that, but you can work to change your future responses and the horse's future responses and make it better. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a hundred percent with that too. Yeah. And anytime you're living in the past, you're not in the present and all your horses want is for you to be present. So it's really um, just perpetuating the problem. If all you're doing is worrying about what you've done previously. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, I spend a lot of time with my clients and students um, uh, encouraging them to not focus on previous mistakes they've made or what could go wrong or, you know, how the horses responded in the past, but to focus on where we want to be and how we want the response to be um, and think positive, basically. And I think that makes a huge change in our emotional and mental um, interactions with our horses if we don't spend so much time focusing on the past and what we've done. If I did that, um, I'd, be, I'd be in a mess all the time because I feel I have felt incredible guilt over how I've treated horses in the past, but I recognize that it was not intentional 
um, I never intentionally did those things with that purpose. I just didn't know any better. Yeah, absolutely. And they know that too. Yeah. They're very mm. forgiving. They, they, they forgive are. even though they remember. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they forgive, they move on. I don't know if horses actually forgive. I think they just move on and go, just do it. I, this is, I'm just I'm asking you for this. It's like we think we're asking something of them, but it's actually them, I believe, asking something of us most of the time. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, forgive is a, uh, a human, you know, human term, but it's just kind of how I think humans visualize the process of moving on is forgiving something that happened in the past and moving forward. I think it helps us to visualize they forgive us, but I agree with you that they just move on. Like, let's just do it better next time. Yeah. We overthink so much. We really do. As humans, it's our condition. It's our one condition we're here to work through, which horses are here to help us with as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I agree. where's Tiger now? Where's she at? What kind of horse is she? She's, um, so when I bought her, she was supposed to be the husband safe, kid safe trail horse. (laughs) Um, yeah, that was a, that was a mess. Um, now she's mine. And really, to be honest, she probably always was going to be mine because I wasn't actually there to look at her to buy. I had driven up to, uh, to horse shop for another horse and I saw her on the pasture and I said, who's that? She's coming home with us. Mm. Um, it was just one of those things where I just took one look at her and I knew she was coming home um, with us. And I'm so grateful that that happened, even though during the time, this learning process, it was a lot of heartache and trauma and uh, emotional struggle for me, but we came out better for it. Um, now she is, I had hoped to do some Western dressage with her this fall, uh, but I think we're going to be waiting till spring just because of all the bad weather we've had. And I had to put some of her training on a back burner as I worked with client horses, but she's progressed beautifully. We've gone from bolting off and bucking and rearing with me every single ride to uh, we go out on long, long trails and just her and I together, um, or she is excellent at ponying other horses. Um, we are preparing to do, like I said, some Western dressage. And she, her biggest struggle right now is being in the arena. The arena is a um, not a good place for her emotionally. So we've been doing a lot of counter conditioning in the arena to prepare her uh, to be able to show because um, she can do everything outside of the arena, but we step inside the arena and her emotional state changes dramatically. So, mm. um, so she's, she's doing fantastic. She's my, she's my heart horse. Um, but she, uh, she's just, she's doing really well. We're been able to, I can't even remember the last time we had kind of like a, an episode where I kind of lost her uh, and she, I don't know if you've ever heard the term seeing red. No, that's oh, more of a rate. That's more of a rage response. That's so not really that it's so much for her. It was more of like a light switch would turn on and off where she'd be appeared to be fine. Blurred and then a light switch. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. for her, it was not a learned helplessness because that would, more indicate that she would shut down, yep. but instead for her, she'd explode. So uh-huh. she would so go, trauma. 
yeah, so it, it was, we were going okay, we were going fine, and then absolute explosion, and I can't remember the last time one of those happened, thankfully, <laughs> it means that things are working, um, but she's doing fantastic now, and she's actually works with students sometimes, and um, although I'm very protective of her, because <laughs> yeah. I put so much work into her recovery. Yeah, um, yeah, and she put so much in, and trust into you as well. You know, yes, she's absolutely. invested a lot in you and you've invested a lot in her. So you really don't want to break that connection. That's totally. Yes, totally, that's yeah, the big fine. thing is, um, you know, just because a horse will do one thing with one person doesn't mean they can do it with everybody. And so there was a marked difference between when she'd interact with me and then she would interact with anybody else um, mm-hmm. for a long time. She's starting to learn to trust other humans as well. Yeah, yeah. And with that deep trauma. Um, it's like the standard bread I've had for years now. I'm, I'm talking about finding him a new home because I don't have his next step, and mm. um, and I felt really guilty about it. But now I feel really positive about it because he can have a really positive next step. He can be taken from one human to another and have a really positive response and a positive um, experience. Um, Mm -hmm. because he won't go anywhere unless they have exactly what I know he needs. I don't have what he needs. He needs um, somebody who will dote on him. He's that kind of horse who has a big ego and a very soft heart, and he needs that one person who will just put all of their energy into him. Mm. I have four children, two other horses, (laughs) five acres, a podcast, a business, I don't have that for him. And once I realized that, I thought I'm holding him back and, and um, this is not what he needs. So he's having a trauma response about that. So he's having, because we're, you know, discussing it, horses know what's going on. And he, um, he's having a big response about that. And so I just walk with him and I say, you can, you're allowed to have a positive experience when you move from human to human. You're allowed to trust this experience. So it's just how we handle it. In, horses can handle anything as long as it's always a positive step, I believe. Yeah, and that it's prepared for. Um, you know, it wouldn't be uh, a humane option for me with Tiger. Let's say I was in a similar situation where I needed to find a new home for her if, you know, you know, throw us back a year or two where she trusted me, but wasn't trusting other humans for me just to throw her into a new situation and say, here horse, here you go. You'll be fine. She doesn't know that she doesn't know that she's going to be fine um, because I hadn't prepared her to be around other humans. Um, I actually had this experience with my filly who I started from the beginning. She can do, you know, for her, I think we, I think we underestimate Um, the generalization process that needs to happen. So, you know, you can teach a horse to pick up a foot for you, but do they also, can they also pick it up for the trimmer? Can they also pick it up for the students? You know, so they have to learn how to generalize that same cue to different people and that same emotional response to with other people. And so it's all about preparing the horse to be able to live in our human world in a low stress, um, you know, balanced way where they're able to cope with those changes that sometimes we have to put them through for their own sake. Um, whether it's traveling to the vet, whether it's having your friend come out and feed your horses for you, any change that we expect them to be able to handle, we have to prepare them for. That's fantastic. 
What great advice. I love that because we don't consider that sometimes. A lot of people think, well, if they'll do it for me, they'll do it for anybody. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah, so I kind of started that story with my filly. I I got, you know, a year into her training and then it's really just kind of at the time it was just me and my horses at the barn. Nobody else ever did anything with the horses. And, you know, I'd want my student to do something with her and she'd look at them like, you're not my mom. Like you, you, you don't do stuff like this with me. Only she does. So my, it was like, she knew nothing when I gave her to somebody else because I had never generalized all of those cues and all those behaviors to working with other humans. So it's definitely an important step. Great. And how do you do that? Do you just bring in other humans and train them and get them around your horse? Yeah. So in general, the cues that I teach my horses, I try and make them to be very standardized cues um, because because I train things usually very differently than you're going to find at any other barn. I use almost or as much positive reinforcement training processes as possible. The process of training the cue is a little bit different than you might normally see, but I want the end cue to be similar. So touch the leg, the leg comes up. That's very similar to how anybody else would train it. Mm -hmm. So I try and stick to cues that almost anybody will use to make it easier on the horse so they're not confused or put in a position where the human that is asking that of them gets frustrated with them. Why isn't this horse picking up their leg? Um, Because they don't know the cue. So that keeping a general cue that most people will understand or naturally go to is important. Mm -hmm. Um, The second part of that would be to start introducing the horse to other people. So, you know, um, maybe it is just you and your horses at the barn for the most part, but perhaps your vet comes out, you know, a couple times a year or the trimmer comes out usually, you know, every six weeks or whatever it is, have, see if they'll spend a little extra time there with you and kind of run through some basic cues, basic handling with your horse, even if you have to pay them a little extra to stay an extra hour or 30 minutes even, and ask them if they'll help you start to generalize those behaviors to being with another person. This really helps with medical care and working with a vet. Um, I think we forget that, you know, a horse can do one thing for us and is comfortable with us. And then we have this human that we pay to come in to take care of our horses, but they, because they're on a time limit and they're moving quickly and they have an agenda, they kind of tend to just come in and start moving the horse around and doing this and that with them. And this horse is sitting here going, what is this human doing? And so quickly, and I don't even know this human. Um, So preparing the horse for those medical exams with other people is very helpful for them to help them maintain an emotionally balanced state and a low stress state when working around other people. Mm, I love that. I really love that because they're things that you can easily miss that are actually quite logical, which I hadn't considered before. So thank you so much for that one. I love that. Um, Can you think of a horse because you train other people's horses as well? Uh I do. Can you tell me a story? Because I love stories about a horse and a human that both changed and created some kind of great alchemy together because I know you work the whole system, not just horse. Yeah, um, absolutely I can. And so I had a uh, a horse come in earlier this year. He was a beautiful gelding and um, the father had called me and was concerned about his daughter's safety and the the daughter is 
she's amazing with her horses. She has amazing connections with her horses, but she was this newer horse that she had um, was different than the ones that she had worked with previously. He has more energy, more enthusiasm, um, more nervous energy too, not just, uh, not just energy like um, motivation energy, like movement energy, but nervous energy. He would become easily overwhelmed and anxious about a, scenario, a situation. And he, uh, with, and he was very insecure. He was insecure about almost everything he did. And what would happen is when he became insecure about a situation and, over, and had that nervous energy, he would become dangerous on accident. He wasn't purposely trying to hurt his human. He just would get too close. He would kick out. He would rear. Um, and it was a, um, it was a fear response. And she wasn't sure how to handle it. And the father was very nervous for her. And so they had considered sending him to a different trainer. And I said, hang on, please let me take him. So I um, brought him home and back to my ranch with me and uh, started working with him. And we started discovering a few physical issues that we were dealing with. Uh, we discovered uh, EPM. I don't know if you know what EPM is, but it's no, a I neurological. Don't. Okay. It's, I think it's I'm not sure how common it is in the rest of the world, but in the U.S. it's more common. Um, it's a neurological condition that um, develops from a low immune system. And, you know, feel free to look that one up. I won't go into the whole part of it because I'm not a vet, but yeah. um, it's hard to diagnose it. So it's still a guess on my part. It's what a, does it present as? Some symptom. It's very the reason it's so difficult to diagnose is because the symptoms change for the different horses. Usually it has to do with a lack of balance being imbalanced. Um, sometimes it can act as a horse being uh, more fearful, more sound sensitive, anything that might look like a horse with that's struggling with its own body. So mm -hmm. it looks like a horse that is not in control of their own body or worried about their body. Um, and worried so their proprioception changes where their feet are their balance um, usually muscle atrophy is really is one of the first symptoms that is noticed weight loss and mus muscle atrophy is a big symptom in the beginning mm -hmm. um, but for him you know we noticed that that was a possibility there's no definite test for it so it's an educated guess um, you kind of start treating for it and see if things change and if they do you know that they had it um, and we also noted, uh, the vet it, was that treated. What was that treated with? There's different types of treatments. Um, Western medicine approach would be, there's some medication that you can use for it. That's fairly effective, but it's very, very expensive. Um, there's also some alternative approaches to treating it. Um, I don't want to give medical advice on yeah. the podcast, yep. but yep. Yep. anybody's anybody's free to contact me later on to ask more about it. If they feel like a horse is experiencing it. Um, really big part of what I do to help treat EPM because he's not my first or my last. I have a couple actually right now is a diet change and an environment change. If we can boost the immune system, repair the gut, then we can start helping the body fight its own problems. Fantastic. Um, so <laughs> we also, the vet also diagnosed, uh, locking stifles or a, um, upper locking patella. I, I probably got that wrong, but the yeah, stifles were sticking. 
Yep. Yes. So, so that he had that going on too. So we have in combination a horse with a lot of energy. He's a performance horse with a horse that is insecure in his own body. Who's not in control of his body, especially when those, uh, stifles start locking and, and, you know, they're sticky. So he's not able to move fluidly. Um, and then we get an owner who is insecure around or afraid of him. And it becomes this very messy, um, dangerous yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, he was very sound sensitive, very reactive. Um, he would just kind of run you over. He just would get scared of something to the right and you'd be on his left and he would just mow right over you. Mm. Um, not on purpose. He just, it's like he didn't know where his body was. Yeah. So fast forward, I changed his diet. I changed everything we did with him. I brought him back to my ranch, which is very low key and relaxed and low stress. So, and I started, um, working on his awareness of his body. We did a lot of uh, balance mat work. We did hill work. We did um, just some walking exercises, teaching him to step away from me. If he ever felt my body come in contact with me, I used positive reinforcement and clicker training to teach him to step away from me as soon as he felt me even come close to him. Um, so we just started this whole retraining and uh, physical rehab process. And, um, he, the, usually the first month, there's not a whole lot of change because the horse is still settling in and adjusting to the new environment, adjusting to the change. But by the third month, I mean, it was like, I was looking at a whole different horse and I have before and after, after pictures of him now where he's gone back home and continued his work at home. And I mean, he's just, thick and beautiful and it's just gorgeous anyway I'm so happy with his progress but the uh, owner well, I was she's able to got a big she's got a big mental leap to take herself as well doesn't she yes so I had to um really help so a lot of the horses she worked with previously were very low energy horses, very relaxed horses, you know, not a lot. They're just not concerned about a whole lot. And so we had to, you know, there was a certain point where I was like, okay, we can't train this horse to do this because that's just too high energy. It's going to make him nervous. We have to work more on, um, rewarding calm, rewarding him staying in a, low stress state, you know, if he drops his head, we're going to reward that. We're going to reward all four feet staying still. We're going to um, focus on body control and him staying a certain amount of distance from you. Um, and I need also, I needed to help her also think, you know, it's a bit of a, I feel like I'm a therapist sometimes, but yeah. Um, teaching her how to remain positive during training sessions and also to lower her energy levels and lower her stress levels when working with him. Um, if she was ever anxious or having a stressed, stressful day, then that would not be the day that she'd go work with this particular horse. He didn't, he couldn't cope with his already natural tendency to be that way. And then her being that way as well. So, you yeah. know, kind of check your emotions at the gate. Um, and he is there doing fantastic now. He's gone back home. Um, I actually just got an update from her this morning and she was just 
so happy that she's able to interact with him again and feel safe and not feel like she's risking herself. Um, Cause it's very, it's hard when you have this horse that you love, but you feel like it's a risk to work with them and you feel you're not sure what to do. Um, I think that's how a lot of horses end up, you know, in unpleasant places yeah. <laughs> because the human Absolutely. didn't know how to respond to them um, and how to fix it. And seeing as it wasn't for this particular horse and for a lot of horses, it's not a, Hey, you know, lift up your right hand and everything is fixed. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not that not simple. Yeah. No, there's not. And there's not, a, I don't believe in cookie cutter methods and programs. Um, and if I had just approached it from a training perspective, we could have made some progress, but it was likely to all come back. Um, if he had been suffering, you know, all those different issues and, you know, yes, he would have learned to step away from me if I asked him to step away, but if he's experiencing so much fear, that will only stick for so long. Yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of a a story about everything that I do. I look at the physical, the mental, the emotional, the and the training and the the human aspect of it, um, and bring it, try and bring it all together to help people and the and the horses to rebuild that relationship. Mm. And how important is connection in the work that you do? Connection as in? As in your connection with the horse, walking in and being connected with the horse and being aware of, of everything that's happening. Well, awareness for, is absolutely imperative. Um, it's, you know, you need to be, I'm very, I'm a huge believer in reading body language and um, learning to observe your horse and observe what they're really telling you, not what we think they're telling us, not what we've been told they're telling us previously, but with current updated science on it, as well as just intuition and knowing your horse, um, really looking at what that horse is telling you. And I feel like if we spend the time and are dedicated to listening to what our horse has to tell us, and then we're dedicated and spend the time to observing our own selves almost as in as if we're like a third party, like watching ourselves interact with our horses and seeing what it is that we're telling our horses. I think that that connection starts to develop um, as the relationship changes. So relationships with our horses are based on the history we've had with them. So the training history, the interaction history, um, you know, however you've interacted with your horse in the past defines the relationship that you have with your horse today. So, and your connection with your horse is basically the relationship and um, how your horse feels that you're listening to them is going to really improve that connection. And it's going to be really important. Um, the more you get to know your horse, the more you spend time with your horse and really read them, read their body language, the more connected to them and the more you'll be able to have a uh, healthy relationship with them. Yeah, I love that. But there's something I want to go a little bit deeper with because I yeah. couldn't possibly sweep over it. I love something you said in there when you said, we have to be aware of what it is that we're saying to them with our body language. 
Yes. Talk to me a bit more about that because it's one thing to sit back and be able to read a horse, which you can do over time, but it's a different thing to be able to be conscious of what we're saying from our body to a horse. Yes. This has probably been the biggest challenge for me um, because I'm a very um, strong personality uh, and I have a um, very type A and kind of take charge and um, and I always on a timeline and with agendas and I've had to really check that. I've had to really learn how to work with horses have been a great learning experience for me to um, to have a plan but to not be fixated on it and what that kind of leads over to is my body language when I'm interacting with my horses I will subconsciously do things that communicate to the horse that they have to do x y or z or that I am stressed today or that um just they can my body language can be threatening even or or give a certain give certain information to the horse that I didn't intend um just based off of what's going on in my brain that I'm trying not to do. Mm-hmm. So I love taking videos. I have video almost all of my training sessions because this is an ongoing thing, I think, for most people, but if, particularly myself, where I want to give the horse a choice. I want to give them control over the outcome. I want to give them the option uh, to respond or not to respond. I want them to feel free to communicate with me what they do know, what they don't know, um, and how they're feeling that day. And I don't want them to fear punishment or fear correction, but you know, if I have, and things like lead ropes and lunge lines and reins can, and, um, anything that where physically connects us to the horse can make this more of a challenge. But if we are thinking, you know, we want our horse to have a choice, but then we have a lead rope on and uh, actually have a video of me doing this the other day. So it's still an ongoing learning process for me. You know, I have the lead rope on just so the horse can't leave for their own safety because I'm in a certain setup or situation, but I'm going to keep it as long as possible and the horse will still have a choice. They'll still be able to move away from me if they want. And I'm asking the horse to take a sidestep to the right. And I accidentally used the lead rope to bring the horse back to me when they were done with the sidestep. But that immediately removes the choice for the horse because I am, um, if it was an intentional cue, that would have been one thing, but I was trying to manipulate the situation and control her, the outcome. I didn't want her to go too far. I wanted to stop her at a certain point. So I kind of, it brought her back to me unintentionally. So that was body language that was happening that I was unaware of, but was communicating to the horse that they didn't really have an option to go further or to leave or whatever. There was still going to be a negative outcome and that I was going to manipulate them back into the situation that I wanted them to be in. So the taking videos, having coaches, so trainers, people watching you. This is why it's so important to have outside party, you know, kind of gently critique your work um, in a positive way because there's things that we do unintentionally that communicate to the horse one thing or another while mentally we may be thinking, oh, this horse has a choice. They know, they know that I'm giving them a choice, but does your body language and what you're doing with that horse actually communicate to them that they do have a choice? 
um, so yeah, so that's that's really important to me. Something that's an ongoing learning process as I try and uh, rein in the free spirit of my body language, <laughs> unintentional. Yeah. yeah, and it yeah, it and it's so quick too. Yes, it's so quickly and so unintentionally, and um, it's wonderful that you're able to pick up on that. But I know um, almost everybody listening would be able to relate to that in some way. Mm-hmm. So. I think big about the planet sometimes and I, I've ever since I was a kid, I'd always look up the sky and I'd think, why on earth are we here? And so I've kind of figured out the human condition a bit that, you know, my belief is we're here to evolve and grow and we get to do a lot in a lifetime and we're very lucky. But why did they put horses here? So why do you think horses are actually here? Um, that's a big question. It is. It is. I don't have an answer yet. Well, I have a theory. Yeah, I, I don't know that we'll ever have an answer, but we can, we can, I think it is a exercise, it's a good exercise to put ourselves through to consider everything. I like to, I like to do that too, to think big and to think about the bigger purpose behind almost everything. Um, I feel that horses are their own beings and they have their own place in the world, just like humans do, just like dogs do and everything. But our relationship with them can have a greater purpose. Um, just by, I feel like horses can bring out the best in us. Um, sometimes the worst in us until we learn for, to make it. So it's the best in us. Um, you know, we might, it might, uh, you know, our, we might figure out. So horses for me have taught me that I can sometimes lose my temper. So I'll just, um, I seem to be going along just fine. And then something happens and I just kind of will resort back to old habits and things that I don't want to do because I get frustrated and upset about something. And so that relationship has allowed me to have a lot of personal growth there, which wouldn't, likely have happened or maybe it would have happened in another way but I feel like horses are another relationship that we can have that we can use to for self-improvement and then also we could be that improvement in their lives as well we can you know we could we're not always but we could be a good thing for them we could be a positive aspect in their life. We could, we can be a, um, their caregiver and help them, you know, with something that they might suffer in the wild, a medical condition, we can readily, you know, help them through that. And we have medical abilities where we can repair something that they would have died from in the wild. So I feel like a relationship is, um, can be a beautiful and, um, personal growth kind of way thing. Uh, it can be enriching for both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it can be positive for both sides. Um, and personal beliefs, you know, I know everybody won't share this, but I do believe in God and I'm a, a Christian and I believe that there's a, um, a purpose to all of our existence. And I feel horses in my life. I'm, I, they're here for me. And I'm there for them to help improve this life for each other um, and to for an ultimate purpose later on. Um, but 
Yeah, that's a really big question. And I'd have to think about it some more. Maybe we'll do another <laughs> podcast and I'll have more answers for you or more thoughts, I should say. Yeah, yeah. It's a big one. Like I said, I, I have theories. I don't have an answer, but I only yeah. have my theories and sometimes they change. But I, I think they've got enormous amount to teach us. If I look at um, things like religion, if I look at what people search for. So my expertise mm-hmm. is not in horses themselves, it's in human behavior is where mm-hmm. um, I started young and the horses came in much later. Everyone's searching and mm-hmm. they're searching for themselves. And, um, you know, people go looking for things in, in everything that they're, they're doing. And I think that the horse gives you you. Every mm-hmm. single time, only every single time, they will go. Oh, I know you think this, but this is you. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you the... might be looking calm, but guess what? Your nervous system's telling you this. <laughs> so I'm just going mean, to show that... you. Yeah, and that goes back to the body language. You know, the yeah. horse is going to reflect. You know, yeah. we may be thinking we're doing one thing, but if our body's saying another, <laughs> guess what? That's yeah. reality. You can't lie. You can't lie. And um, yeah, so I, I think if I look at a big theory, it's like they're just bringing us ourselves in a beautiful way so that we can um, we can really connect deeply with the best part of ourselves. Like you said, you know, they can bring the best out in you and they will do that. And what an extraordinary mm-hmm. service that is. What an incredible gift that is. I think. Um, an important addition to that is that we have to allow that to happen though. Um, we can so easily, um, I like to tell people that when they're given, so there's, I feel like everybody, every really um, passionate horse person has horses in their life that present them with a unique challenge that they, these horses are the exception to what's been working. Um, They're a learning experience. If we allow them to be, they can tell us truth. They can um, help us change and to learn if we allow them to, instead of blaming the horse or telling them that the horse is wrong or telling the horse that they're wrong and that they're just, something's wrong with them and they're broken. Maybe it's not them that's broken. Maybe it's not them that's wrong and they're coming, you know, against us. It's, that there's something we need to learn and this horse is here to teach us something new that we haven't seen before. Those other horses may have been showing us, but maybe in a subtler way. And then finally a horse comes along. That's just the, the breaking point where, and that was tiger for me, the absolute breaking point where it was either I needed to change or I was going to have to, um, say that this horse wasn't fixable or to put this horse down or something like that. And I wasn't willing to put her down and I wasn't willing to sell her and know that she'd end up in a bad home. So -hmm. what was my only other option? It was to change. Um, But we have to allow that to happen. We have to say it's okay for what we did know to not be our, you know, what we know now or in the future. Like that's not the end of the road. Um, We have to be willing to learn and to change. Yeah. It takes a lot of bravery Mm-hmm. and vulnerability which is beautiful yeah wonderful well Adele can you tell me where people can find you absolutely so um for general information and to get to my blog and to read my blog posts um my website thewillingequine.com um for training advice or training support or to contact me um, about starting long distance lessons. I teach long distance lessons. Um, 
through video submission. I have a uh, services page on my website, so thewillingcoin.com, and then it's forward slash training. And then you can also email me. My email's on the website as well, um, just for general questions. Um, I also teach lessons locally, and um, I'm also on social media. Oh, I'm in uh, Spicewood, Texas. Beautiful. So central Texas area. Um, I also am very, very active on social media, probably too active. Um, Instagram, The Willing Equine, and YouTube, same username. So those are the, the primary areas to see what I do and to um, watch videos and to get to know my work a little bit better and contact me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We've been able to uh, sneak this interview in while my kids are still asleep and yours are taking a nap. So mm -hmm. thank God for the sleeping children right now <laughs> who gave yes. us time to be able to have this amazing conversation. And um, thanks for your time today. And thank you more importantly for everything that you're doing for horses because this is something that I'm so passionate about. And we've just had a big race day here in in um, Australia and it brings mm -hmm. up a lot of pain points for a lot of people and there's a lot of heated discussions and mm -hmm. I stay out of all the discussions because they kind of go around in circles and nothing ever happens but it's the days that I after that day I pull my socks up and I say okay time to to speak this positive work that we do even louder let's bring conscious yeah. horsemanship to the world let's bring consciousness to the horsemanship world that's really my big goal let's be conscious Absol about what we're doing yeah absolutely and having. show by example and to exactly. uh, bring information i feel like if we can start pouring out information that's practical and understandable and it's not um just way out there you know it's everyday yes, information yes. that people will start absorbing it and we're already seeing it happen um i instagram by itself has just become this beacon of hope it's so different from you know if i go to a local show i i have a hard time going to local shows but instagram is a really nice place right now for a lot of it not the whole thing but there's a big beacon happening so yeah. very excited and it gives us hope. And it's such a, a place of great collaboration, this concert, um, conscious horsemanship we're speaking um, before we hit record. And I said, this is such a, a collaborative space. Everyone's here to lift each other up. Nobody's here to put each other down because the moment that you're putting the horse first, everyone says, I've made a billion mistakes and I'll probably <laughs> make a billion more. But I, this is my intention. This is what matters. This is what I'm doing. And that's all the horse is asking of us. And, and it's a really exciting place to be. And if every horse person in the world just had in their mind, I'm going to put the horse first, honestly, then mm -hmm. my job's done. Yeah, honestly is the key word right there. Not honestly. just tell us, not just tell ourselves we are, but to actually look and see, yeah. are we? <laughs> yeah, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Adele, thanks again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. If you'd like to connect with Adele, you can do so by following the links in the show notes, or you can go to the blog on my website to also see pictures of Adele and the horses she's worked with. That's at comealongfortheride.com.au. I'm on a mission to create a community of gentle and ethical horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. 
If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts, or tell your friends about the podcast. You'll find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. If your friends don't know how to podcast, send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who'd love to listen but isn't quite sure how. I'd also love it, really love it, if you get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine. So please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover, if there's something you'd like me to research more and really speak about at length or even just in a short way, let me know. I'd love, love, love to serve you guys more. Anyway, thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.